know this is supposed to be a great golf course tomorrow, but is it really worth the 30 or 45-minute ride out here? Well, I, I hope you'll feel that it is, Bill. You know, based on what I've heard about uh, your putting, I know you're going to love the greens out here. But uh, actually, I had a bit of a method to my madness. I suggested this course because I actually wanted the 30-minute drive with you. I've got something I want to talk to you about. That sounds interesting. Well, you know, I, I got to know you for the first time a few months ago, and since then we've been together many times in different settings, and uh, I've been watching you. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, no, it's okay, I promise. I don't know exactly how to put this. You've got a peace or a contentment about you that, frankly, I envy. In spite of the fact that I've had more success far earlier than I ever thought, I've got a great family, really everything I need and most of what I want, I still feel, well, I guess I feel at times empty. Like, uh, is this all there is? I sense that maybe faith or religion may be the basis of the contentment I see in you that's kind of missing in my life. I don't want to pry into your personal life, but is faith, religion, church, that sort of thing, is, is that important to you, Bill? Well, I guess my reaction to that, Lamar, is yes and no. Yes, in the sense that my faith in God, a personal relationship with God, is clearly the most important element in my life. The no part, I guess, would be about religion. I think it's possible to have a meaningful relationship with God and not necessarily be into religion. In other words, I don't see those as identical. The one is extremely important, the other less so. And the thing that is extremely important is what? Well, the idea of a personal relationship with God, the spiritual development of my life as distinct from religious life. This uh, peace or contentment that I see in you, you think that's where it comes from maybe? I believe absolutely that's the source. Well, I, I've just got some questions. I, frankly, I, I don't have that in my life. I, I don't know if there is a God. I don't know how you go about determining that. I've got all these questions, and I really don't want to commit intellectual suicide by uh, just a leap of faith, so to speak, by just hoping that it's uh, true. I'm just wondering if there's any way you can really know. Obviously, you believe that this is true, that there is a God and that he's available to you. Would you mind if we talk about this a bit? Can I ask you some questions about this? Fire away. I promise you I'm not offended. In fact, I've wrestled with a lot of the questions I think that you may have in mind, and I support wholeheartedly the idea that we shouldn't be involved in committing intellectual suicide. Otherwise, how do you know you're not going to end up in a compound in Waco or you know, some cult in San Diego making a fatal mistake even? I think that having answers to some of the, the big questions is a very important part of the process of developing a relationship with God. So I welcome the questions, and we'll take a shot at it. Fire right. away. Bill, I appreciate that. I, I'm wondering, as a first thing, uh, if maybe the atheists aren't the ones that have it right. I, I don't know if there is a God. I don't know if there's any way to know. You know, somebody that says, well, there's not one. At least he's got some courage of his convictions. I wonder if he's got it right. What do you think? I agree, Lamar. I think that it does take courage to swim against the tide 
And if you don't believe something to say so, even though there are a lot of other people who think it's different. But the problem I have with it is that I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. You don't have enough faith to be an atheist? (laughs) Did I hear you right? Yeah, I know that sounds backwards because people think it's the believer in God that needs all the faith. But think of a, a big circle. And if I could draw a circle here as we're driving, imagine that that circle represents all knowledge in the universe. Take a pencil or a magic marker and fill in how much of knowledge in the universe you feel like you have personally. You mean like the steering wheel here, if that represented all knowledge, and I'm going to mark out the part that I know, uh, it would probably take a real sharp pencil and it'd be a little bitty dot and it'd be off to the side. I feel exactly the same way. I realize that I know only a tiny portion of all that there is to be known in the universe. And that would be true for the atheist as well. Well, I think the question could be asked, how do you know that God doesn't exist somewhere outside the realm of your limited knowledge and experience? Couldn't God exist? To be an atheist, in a sense, you have to say, I know enough to know that there couldn't be a God. And there seems to be a contradiction there. Well, obviously, that's a very good point. But, Bill, just because you can't prove there isn't a God it doesn't prove there is one. In, in fact, I've got a, an old friend that argues persistently that you can't really know anything about these ultimate questions of life, not know it conclusively. Do you believe that you can really know the answer to these questions? Well, I actually think that to take the position that you can't know anything about these big questions is self-contradictory because that in itself is a statement about ultimate questions. It's kind of like making the statement, I cannot utter a word in English. And you would say, well, you just did. The agnostic, the one who says you can't know anything, is making a statement that he knows something that you can't know anything, and it ends up being a self-contradictory position. And I think it actually says too much. And the reality is that most of us really believe in our minds and in our hearts, that we can know some things. It's not impossible to have information, even information about some of the big questions. I'm with you. I said it was my friend. I didn't say it was me. (laughs) I really do see your point. But even if I agree with you that you can't prove that there is no God, that that's just really an indefensible position because you have to know everything about everything to be able to hold that up, and even if you can know something about these ultimate questions of life, Where is the evidence that there really is a God of the type that created everything, he's in control, uh, he knows everything, or do you advocate just a blind leap of faith? No, I think rather than having a leap of faith, I like to think of it as a, a step into the light based on amassing the evidence and making an intelligent evaluation of it. Evidence. Let's get to the evidence. May we talk about that? I would love to. I think there is tremendous evidence in the world around us, in our universe, for the existence of God. And and I would say that the first piece of evidence would be this universe itself. That would be Exhibit A in terms of evidence that there is a God. Uh, Say more about that. Uh, Now we're getting to what I wanted to talk about. All right, somebody put it this way. It seems to me that there are only three logical options as to how it is that the universe got here. Option number one is that The universe has always been here. The universe is eternal. And if the universe is eternal, then you don't need an explanation for what or who brought it into existence. Right. 
All right. The, the second option is that there is an eternal being, we might call God, that brought this universe into existence. A creator. A creator. Mm-hmm. If you don't buy that there's anything eternal, that the universe isn't eternal, and that there's no eternal being that brought it into existence, then what you have to say, option number three, is that this non-eternal universe spontaneously popped out of nothing. Poof. Those are the three options. Well, given those three options, I believe I could pick out of the crowd the one that uh, you would sort of center on. But uh, what's wrong with that first option? The idea of the eternal universe? Yeah. Why does there have to be an explanation that maybe the universe has always been here and always will be here? Everybody's pretty familiar these days with the, uh, the notion, the terminology about the Big Bang. And it seems to me that the one clear thing that the Big Bang says is that the universe hasn't always been here. There was a point at which it began. And if you look at astronomy, the message from astronomy is that this is an expanding universe. The message from physics is that the universe is winding down. Slowly, I hope. (laughs) I think not in our lifetime, but I think it's winding down. So if it had a specific time when it began, and if sometime, eons into the future, it's going to come to an end, then it's not eternal. So it seems to me that science in this century has come to a clear conclusion that this universe is not eternal and therefore is not an explanation for itself. Okay, by process of elimination, we're stuck with two or three. I think that's exactly Uh, right. Let's talk about three, option three. Okay, if you want to rule out the idea that the universe is eternal and if you want to rule out the idea that there's an eternal being that brought the universe into existence, then what we're saying is this universe, though it's not eternal, just spontaneously popped out of nothing. And it seems to me that one of the cardinal rules of science is that nothing comes from nothing. We're always looking for a cause to explain the effect. And so it would be a very unscientific as well as intellectually unsatisfactory response to say, poof, magic. It just popped out of nothing. And that leaves us with the only of those options that it seems to me makes sense, and that is that there's some eternal being that brought this universe, this finite, limited universe, into existence. Okay, so is your entire faith that there is a God then based on eliminating the option one and three, and so you're left with God as the only explanation? Is Process that, of elimination. Is that, is that what your entire well, faith I think there are other been? pieces of it. I think that's significant evidence there that we have a universe – whose only reasonable explanation is that there is some being that brought it into existence. I agree. But I think there are other pieces of evidence. For instance, the order and design that we observe in our universe and the harmony that exists um, in our planetary bodies, the way our universe works. An an example of what I have in mind would be uh, this wristwatch. You might look at this watch and say, Bill, it's a nice watch. Where did you get it? I say, well, Lamar, you're not going to believe this, but there was an explosion in a factory and out popped this watch. You're right. I don't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) It's unbelievable because this watch works with precision. It keeps time to within a couple seconds in a year. And when you observe something with this kind of design and order, you know that there must have been an intelligent designer behind it. We look Mm -hmm. at the effect, the watch, and we say, what's a cause that will sufficiently explain how that came into being? And the answer is, when we look at the order in the universe, there must be an intelligent designer. Okay. That's a good point. Um, 
there is order to things. Things do work. So that's that's helpful to me. Is is that it? Or is there something else that points to a creator? One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, who at one time was an atheist and became convinced that there must be a God based on what he called the moral argument. And that was simply that there is a standard of morality that existed, has existed throughout history that has no explanation if you don't believe in a God who created the moral order. It's as though I were to go to the pharmacy and hand the pharmacist a prescription and he says, this is unsigned. Where did this come from? And I say, well, it's just there. <laughs> uh, that's not going to be satisfactory. Where did this prescription come from? And Lewis says there is a a sense within human hearts and minds that we have a prescription as to how we ought to live. We know that there are certain things we ought to do and certain things we ought not to do that are more than just personal preference. And Lewis said, if there's no God, then there's no explanation for where this sense of morality comes from. The fact that it transcends all peoples and all lands and all times points to a common source. Uh, Correct. Laws about how to live life, so it points to a lawgiver. Is that exactly the, right. There are laws that we acknowledge that are here. There must be a lawgiver. Well put. Okay, that's, that's good food for thought, Bill. Uh, but I've got another question for you. Okay. Let's just say that there is a God of the type that you're describing and talking about. Uh, Where did he come from? Who made him? <laughs> who made God? Right. And then you can go back a little further and say, well, then who made who made God? Well, that's the next question. <laughs> The, uh, I think the philosophers call this uh, the argument of infinite regression. You keep going back on this, who made who. Well, a skeptical philosopher, I think, would put it this way. He would say, premise number one, everything has a cause. Premise number two, God is a thing. Uh, therefore, the conclusion is God must have a cause. Right. But what I would disagree with in that setup is premise number one. I think it's inaccurate to say that everything has a cause A clear way to make this statement would be that every finite thing has a cause, premise one. Premise two, God is not a finite or limited thing. Therefore, God does not require a cause to explain his existence. I see. That's helpful. I really found this uh, discussion to be real interesting and uh, unusual. You know, most of the time (laughs) when I talk to other men, we're talking about sports or uh, automobiles or... uh, uh, the stock market and things like that, and uh, I don't know exactly where it's leading, but it's uh, it, at least it's interesting, and we've killed most of the drive out to the course. <laughs> well, that's right. Um, I'll tell you, to take this a little bit out of the abstract sort of theoretical philosophizing about the existence of the universe and whether there's a God, I would uh, throw out the idea of what has been called Pascal's Wager. There was a French scientist and mathematician a couple centuries ago who had many friends who considered themselves to be at least mild agnostics, and they weren't sure whether there was anything to be believed about God or not. Not only did they feel like it was impossible to know, they really didn't care. They weren't looking, and they weren't investigating, and it wasn't a very serious pursuit. It was just an idle curiosity. And he put a challenge in front of them that has since then been called Pascal's Wager. Uh, By the way, they were also betting men, and so he put it in a way that they could relate to in terms of their hobby. That's in line with my understanding of French history. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. 
Pascal said, if I choose to believe that there is a God and it turns out in the end that I'm wrong, he said, I've actually probably gained something because I had a sense of purpose and meaning and direction in my life by believing there was a God and have lost nothing. But if it turns out that I'm right, I've not only gained in this life, uh, but I've gained in a major way because I'll end up for eternity with God in heaven. So if I choose to believe, what he's saying is I have nothing to lose and an enormous amount to gain. On the other hand, if a man chooses to reject God and it turns out that he's right and there is nothing once this life is over, well, he really hasn't gained anything by his rejection of God. But if, on the other hand, he chooses to reject God and it turns out that there is, in fact, a God and there is life after death, then he's lost everything. So to, to kind of sum up Pascal's wager, if you choose to believe in God, you have everything to gain and nothing to lose. By rejecting God, you have nothing to gain and everything to lose. Well, you're not saying that a guy like me should uh, fake it or go through some ritual just to hedge the bets, are you? I mean, you can know more than that, can't you? <laughs> yeah, and I think that obviously if there was a God, as I believe that there is, he would know that kind of insincerity of somebody saying, well, I'll just kind of say the magic words. I'm just going to hedge my bet even though I don't really believe this. No, I think the point of Pascal's wager was to challenge the friends that he cared about with the idea that the stakes are very high and that they should not be indifferent about this question and this subject. They ought to be passionate in their pursuit of this question. Really, is there a God? And understand that, again, there is a tremendous amount at stake. Okay. I uh, I don't know how passionate I have become on these questions, but uh, I will say that uh, my experience in life has been that uh, I've had some successes and some failures. Uh, luckily, the successes have outnumbered the failures, and uh, but it doesn't seem that uh, that they're satisfying. They're not lasting, and and they they don't really get at this uh, this gnawing feeling I have that I'm missing something that uh, kind of prompted me to to start this conversation. A I, sense of meaning and purpose and direction. Exactly, exactly. I've had a lot of experiences, and again, some successes, but I keep asking myself, "Gee, is this all?" I don't know if other people have experienced that, but that's certainly been what uh, what prompted me to ask these questions. Actually, what you just said there made me think of a wise Hebrew king named Solomon who was the wealthiest king in Israel's history. And although he had everything imaginable in terms of possessions and he had accomplished great public works projects and he was into the arts and had all he wanted of wine, women, and song – he kept coming back to this phrase in the book he wrote. He said, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. There's this all emptiness. It's kind of like he went down one path to try to find meaning and fulfillment and found out it was a cul-de-sac. And he tries another one, and that's a cul-de-sac too. And he just couldn't find any substance and meaning and purpose in life. And for him, the conclusion was that that purpose and that meaning and fulfillment can only be found in relationship with God. And if I put God at the center of my life, then all of these other areas can be in their proper perspective and balance. Well, that's that's good, Bill. I, uh, but I I've, I can't say that I'm there yet. I've, you've given me lots of food for thought, and uh, I've, I've got to give it some thought. 
Well, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to give it a whole lot of great thought for the next couple hours during this round of golf. Uh, I can't seem to walk and chew gum at the same time, but um, maybe on the way back we can talk about some more questions or grab lunch uh, next week. Let's go have a good round of golf. I appreciate that. I, uh, I look forward to uh, maybe the drive back. I've got another question for you. Sounds great. Let's play. Let's play.